Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, this is Rebecca Buchanan, co-host of New Books Network, New Books in Popular Culture. And today I am here with Jessica Fishman, the author of Death Makes the News, How the Media Censor and Display the Dead. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Rebecca. So I'm hoping you can start off by talking to us about why you wrote this book. What got you really interested in how the media portrays death? Yeah, this book is about how the news media censor and depict death because death is important to all of us. To some degree, we're all fixated with death, and I'm certainly no different. We feel that life is precious because of death, and it's human nature to be curious about death and to seek information and learn all about it. And We constantly monitor our environment for threats, whether it's an odd noise that maybe we hear late at night or a news break announcing a terrorist attack or an earthquake. And then in addition to that, if you recognize that the news industry is a very powerful one, then it's important to understand how it represents death. Because every day in the news, there are many, many stories about fatal encounters, fatal encounters of all kinds, all kinds of tragedy. And death is considered the most newsworthy story. So if death is universally regarded as a very newsworthy topic, um, and the title of the book reflects that death makes the news, then we want to understand what happens when the news media tries to represent death. All day long, the news media are behind the scenes, the editors and um, various other figures are behind the scenes making decisions about which deaths to cover, which to ignore. And this book asks whose deaths matter and which deaths make the headlines, which images of death make the cut, and which words and types of pictures are used. So it's trying to bring some transparency to these behind-the-scenes decisions for this very powerful institution. So before we start talking about your book and really getting into it, you also use a lot of images, you use a lot of pictures. So you talk about photography. And so you define what a postmortem picture is and, and how you use and talk about that throughout your book. So can you just define that for us? Be- so we're all sort of on the same page with that before we move on? Yeah, sure. That's a good idea. What a postmortem picture is, is basically an image of a dead body of the corpse. And it's evidence that the death has happened. So it can be any part of the body, any part of the head. It can be any part of the body, even if it's covered by clothing. For instance, if you show a dead person, um, even who's almost completely covered by a sheet, but say a leg, part of a leg is hanging out with a shoe, that would still count. Um, And we had a whole team of people looking at each picture to see carefully if it qualified. 
And even if there was something in the background that might be a body, we were pretty generous. And um, if it was unclear to count it as a body. Mm-hmm. And so you've divided your book into two parts. In part one, you talk about those sort of issues with the picture and the picture problem. And then part two, you really focus on how death is depicted and the exceptions to some of the rules that are are made within the media. So we're going to start with part two and then sort of move into part one. But so you start in the second half of your book, you talk about the pictures in sort of tabloid presses versus more traditional presses. And so can you talk a little bit about how we think about these images and these assumptions that we have about the tabloid press and how that um, transfers into sort of reality of what's going on in the tabloid press? Yeah, you're right that it turns out that we've made a lot of wrong assumptions about the news media, as you alluded to, and that this book talks about that there are many media myths, um, that the truth is very different, and that it shows some strong editorial editorial forces that persistently construct the news. And in particular, there seems to be a large role played by class and nationalism. And that chapter that you're referring to um, in the second part of the book that focuses on tabloids is a good example of that. Because as you as all of us have heard many times, the tabloid is accused of being that tasteless, uh, tasteless form of media where graphic images are welcome and lots of gruesome images are, are there for shocking sensationalism. And there's this assumption that they rarely shrink from vulgarity, that these types of pictures would be very welcome. But when we did a careful analysis of all the images over 30 years that appeared in tabloids. And then we also carefully looked at 30 years of news coverage in the elite news media, like the Patrician Press, for example, the New York Times, the Washington Post. We found that actually the tabloids are not the ones guilty of what is called uh, the gruesome sensationalistic imagery. They actually have many fewer images of the dead body than the New York Times and the Washington Post. Right. And so you you sort of set us up with that and then move into then how are we thinking about images um, and, and or how does the press think about what is newsworthy and what is not? And you divide that into a couple of different categories. And one you start with is the idea of nationality and whether it's newsworthy or and those images of death are newsworthy or not sort of in different settings in um, wartime and peace. You talk about also how we display um, what's happening on sort of American soil versus overseas. So can you talk a little bit about um, how nationality plays out in showing newsworthy images of death or not? Yeah, uh, I was really interested to test some widely held assumptions. And this was because as we were categorizing all the images over the 30 years and listening to people, listening to editors talk about what makes a newsworthy image and what does not, we started 
learning that what they say they value in a news image is not often what they actually select for publication, the images that they actually decide to publish. So um, there were some interesting findings that the same type of photograph that shows a dead person will either be censored as pornography. A lot of these editors and social commentators said these are not newsworthy pictures. In fact, they're pornography, or they would be celebrated as an essential and ideal part of the news that deserves a Pulitzer. So the same type of image would either be condemned as pornography or celebrated and say that this could be a Pulitzer Prize winner. And so this book in large part is a story of how the same type of news image is either porn or prize worthy. And it reveals why the news editors and the rest of us feel that it's sometimes wrong to look and sometimes that we must look. So in the sections on nationality, it turns out that if there is a systematic accounting of which images make the cut, most of them are, I'm talking about, I should say, I'm talking specifically about postmortem pictures or images of the body. These pictures are overwhelmingly showing non-Americans, dead foreigners. And the editors and in interviews were telling me that this is a really important picture. You have to show it. It's the ideal form of the news. It's conveying the facts. And you can't deny these facts when you see them in the pictures. But when Americans died, they would say, there's, there's no information in this picture. Or they'd say it's pornographic and it's the opposite of the news. And this is especially true when there were large-scale tragedies. The, the higher the death toll, the more likely they were to make these distinctions where the deaths of non-Americans deserve to be shown, were considered very newsworthy pictures, but the death of Americans were considered to be not newsworthy for photojournalism. Mm -hmm. And that sort of moves us into then that next topic of innocence and newsworthy images. And you talk about the role of sort of American children and how the deaths of American children attract attention and how that, what the news media does with images of children. And so can you talk a little bit about how then those ideas of what is newsworthy relate when we're looking at innocent children, we're looking at sort of what you title innocence. One part of the book is focused on large tragedies because a lot of editors told us that depending on the scale of the tragedy that we need to show the bodies. The, the larger the tragedy, the higher the death toll, the more important it is to witness the dead bodies and show these pictures. So that turned out not to be the case in many instances because American bodies are basically taboo to show in the news media. Then we decided to look, well, maybe you can define the tragedies in terms of innocence lost, in terms of the children that are claimed because they are considered the most vulnerable and innocent of all, and that can be a marker of the biggest tragedies. So we looked at all the images of children, dead children that were shown in the news media, and it was extremely 
informative because of the patterns that were revealed and that almost every single picture of a dead child was a foreigner, was not an American. There was perhaps one exception in the 30 years that we studied. And it shows this great tribal partitioning of images that if you have a, an important tragedy, a large tragedy, or one that is considered the utmost tragic because it takes children, then there are very strict rules, but unwritten rules, about which images will be shown. And so, and you mentioned the mass tragedies as well, and how they talk, how mass tragedies are portrayed. Do you have anything else you want to talk about or add to that? How they sort of viewed and show mass tragedy. Let's take the example of Newtown, where there was a horrific case of people, Americans, being killed, and there were lots of children that died. And there were a series of photojournalists who covered this event, including one photojournalist who was there on the scene when children were being rushed to the ambulance. And she had pictures just as a victim was dying. And she knew then that the picture would never be published. And when you talk to editors, they say there's nothing newsworthy in those pictures, either that they're they're just simply evil to show or they have no information in them. On the other hand, you can think of cases like the little toddler on the beach of Syria who was found dead face down on the beach. And that three-year-old shown dead was considered, considered to be a very important image that was evidence, that was speaking the truth and that need to be shown. And it was shown and many news formats for several days. And lots of people felt that this was a vital part of the story that needed to be told, and that it could be telling more than any words could reveal. So people had very different feelings about what a newsworthy image was, depending on where the victims were, American or non-American. And this is just one example of a dichotomy that kept on appearing again and again and again. Right. And so you bring that, you talk about in the second half, those ideas of what you call it, the fantastic feats of a few photos, but the importance of photos and the importance of images, depending on the context. And then you move into this idea of, or discussion of how victims seek visibility and how images are used. You start with the case of Emmett Till and you talk about the Black Lives Matter movement but how images then are used to to let people know what is going on. So can you talk a little bit about how <clears throat> some victims will use these images to be more visible? Yeah, one of the biggest one of the most frequent complaints about these death images is that it would hurt the family and that somehow it is deeply offensive to the victim. And there's actually no consensus about this. There's lots of times where the family members, the kin of those who died, feel that it's very important to have pictures of the deceased shown, pictures of the victims actually shown dead. And they feel that 
in many cases, if you're not going to give this attention, that that's just making the tragedy worse and that it's important to bear witness to this horrible tragedy. For example, in India, there were recently two young girls who were raped and hung. And the father of the youngest girl said that, you know, his pain was about the killing, not showing the images. And in fact, showing the images was demanding attention for this important issue and that he felt it was going to aid his fight for justice. And in the case of Syria, when many have been killed, uh, many family members felt um, begged the American media not to turn away, but to bravely show these pictures. And as you mentioned, there is a classic case of Emmett Till where his mother wanted the world to see the tragedy and had welcomed the press to show images of her son in the casket. And it was often credited that those images were often credited as influencing the civil rights movement. And today, more recently, We've had many cases where family members of black unarmed men who were killed by police officers saying, I want these images to make the news. And they were considered part of inspiring the Black Lives Matter movement. Right. So you've got these whole, the second half of the book really talks about these specific ideas and these specific images. And and you have some case studies about... um, specific examples. And in the first half, you really set up what this means, what's the issue that's going on, and how we sort of think about images. So it's um, your part one, you call it death concealed, the picture problem. And you start out by having us think about this idea of alarming images and and tragedy and and why there is this... um, controversy around this. So can you talk a little bit about if we sort of shift gears and and go to sort of how you set up what's going on in the industry? Can you talk a little bit about that, about the sort of why there's this controversy about the images? Yeah, uh, we know very little about news images because classic studies of the news, along with more recent ones, have typically focused on the use of words. They've been focused on like what headlines are about and what information is conveyed in the story copy with the sentences and descriptions that the words provide. But there's a growing interest in understanding the influence of images. And as a form of communication, pictures really matter. Our brains generally prefer pictures over words. For example, in eye tracking studies, people read few news articles, but pay a lot of attention to the accompanying photographs. And The images, the ones that we see and the ones that we don't see, can dictate our perceptions of reality. They can influence not only which events we think about, but how we think about those events. And psychologists sometimes argue that the impact of a story is much more often determined by the photograph than the story itself. The images also persist longer in our memory and they can influence our perception and our judgment of events. So you have the common adage today, pics or it didn't happen, which may seem kind of like a flippant refrain, but it's become a common catchphrase because it's another way of recognizing that images do have a telling account, that they do have a great deal of influence 
And the news we know generates a constant large supply of pictures. They also make them very prominent, give them priority treatment. And so it's important to understand when and how these images are used. And the early part of the book focuses on explaining how it turns out that these images of death that are typically a concern because they are seemingly abound. Um, There's a lot of concern that our news media have been overwhelmingly obsessed with sensational images and that there's this cruel feast on tragedy and that it's only becoming worse over time. But it turns out that less than 1% of the pictures are showing the dead. And so this book spends a good amount of time talking about the consequences of that fact that the images are actually, images of death are actually typically censored. They're available, but they're not shown. Right. And so one of the things that I thought I found really fascinating was sort of right at the beginning, because you talk about, as you said, that images are not shown. So you talk about those alternative images that are chosen and how they are chosen. So can you talk a little bit about those alternative images, what the industry does instead of showing these post-mortem pictures? Yeah, the industry does have a lot of access to creating these pictures, um, meaning that the industry prioritizes getting people to the scene quickly when someone's about to commit suicide or if there's some tragedy that just happened the photojournalists are rushed over there to get to the epicenter and they have these images, but then the editors reject them that the photojournalists even risk their lives in many cases, trying to get these images, but then the editors reject them. And instead what they pick are images that just barely hint at death. Um, In fact, many of these images focus on the victim when they are alive and well, they, the portraits of them long before they met this final misfortune. And they remove the individual from that fatal context that is actually the newsworthy context. We have actually come to expect these kinds of images, but the practice, you could argue, is akin to restricting news coverage of a traffic congestion to pictures of deserted streets or it could be considered akin to excluding pictures of vandalized property when we're reporting on this crime. So instead of documenting death, images capture the opposite. They capture the opposite, the healthy life that preceded. And then there are other types of images that operate as very sanitized metaphors for death, like the teddy bears laid where the bodies once did, or the little miniature American flags and the ribbons and the flowers. Those are sanitized metaphors that get shown very much in the news coverage. Right. And I found it really interesting because as you talked about, and you mentioned numerous times, those images of people before they died. And it just reminds me of all the times that 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 is normally what we see, right? You talked a little bit about Sandy Hook or even the you mentioned the reporter and her camera person 
who were both um, shot and killed, but that what we saw were the those images of them alive and how we do that. But that, but we all also the press has access to all the photo to photographs of death and choose not to do it. Right. Um, we did investigate whether these images of the dead victims are rare simply because photojournalism has few opportunities to make such pictures that that is conceivable. We considered that. And so a lot of attention was given to carefully considering that um, as a possible explanation for how rare these pictures are. But it turns out that there are many of them on the wire services that editors reject every day. And there are many of them on the web. And there's many of these pictures that their own staff um, bring back after they assign to a fatal scene. And the editors have all these pictures, but generally censor, um, generally consider them a target for self-censorship and decide not to show them. So it's not a problem of availability, but it's a certain strong editorial impulse to discard these images. Right. And one thing you say that sort of moves into another thing you talk about is that that when they do display images of death, often they do it by mistake and then they apologize about it. Yeah. In a few cases, the news media in particular, um, when television news cameras are rolling live, they have sometimes accidentally revealed a death and then they have a series of activities that quickly follow to apologize and to strip it clean of the film that is shown in later broadcasts. And it's clear that they consider this a problem that they just revealed the actual death, that they don't want this type of imagery to be included in the news, which is interesting because in all other contexts, the photograph is treated as a very important document for the news to be that public eyewitness for the rest of us to see what actually happened, to, to see the actual evidence. And in the case of death, that's flip-flop, that's reversed, and it's considered important to avert the gaze and not look at the evidence. And so one way that you talk about how they do this is with creating, intentionally creating ambiguity, right? You talk about the ways they might zoom in or out or blocking the view of the body. So can you talk a little bit about uh, the ways in which the media makes sure that we don't see the dead body? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty interesting because typically photojournalism is praised for creating clear and up-close pictures, and those are considered the best. And the better, the closer you are, the better. But in the case of death, uh, in the rare cases that the dead bodies are shown, they're either placed in the distant background so that they're very hard to see. The uh, pictures are digitally altered in many cases so that it's blurry, so that the body is blurry and so it's not clear what you're looking at. And it's interesting because some of the headlines above these pictures that are digitally altered to be unclear will still be making claims that we're showing the desperate reality, for example, of a refugee crisis, and we're laying it bare. Um, there's, in fact, one title above a pixelated image that says the refugee crisis laid bare. 
and that was um, on top of a picture that ostensibly showed, originally showed a dead body, but you can't see it as an audience member looking at this pixelated picture that actually looks more like modern art with these different color blots and big blocks. But these techniques are commonly used to obscure our view. And the editors are essentially saying, we have proof, just take our word. It's a kind of paternalistic use of the technology to say, we actually have proof that this death occurred, but we're not going to show it to you. So take our word. Mm -hmm. And through that, you then talk about how some of these, this idea of the image being graphic or, um, pornographic and what this sort of means to, I don't know if morality is the right word. I don't know if that's the best word, but what this sort of means to the industry and how they sort of think about um, showing these images. So is there anything you want to talk about, about that idea of your chapter of layers of resistance? In many cases, it's interesting that, editors will dismiss the camera for its fidelity for showing the detail. And they'll say that it's, that it's too graphic and that it's sensational as if it's wrong or immoral to be revealing the facts. And they'll say, this should be labeled as porn. This is sensational. This is unsightly. This is offensive. And this is gross. So they're using these aesthetic sensibilities to dismiss these images as bad taste um, just because they show a body. And sometimes these pictures, many times these pictures are really benign. They're not even appearing to show a dead person. There's no gore, there's no blood, but still this person who could be sleeping as shown in the picture is dismissed as a gross or unsightly or offensive type of image And many times editors will talk about how these pictures can also be immoral in the sense that it's, it's a concern that they can assault us or slice us or hit us or somehow punch us. They, they um, are seen as like in your face at the attacker or some violent agent, even though these pictures are obviously just an inert object. Right. And, and from that, you sort of talk a little bit about this in the chapter on words versus image, right? You start with um, talking about the the very graphic video that went around with Ray Rice um, assaulting and knocking out his fiance and some other images where were were some people argue that we're we should just see the words and not the images and so can you talk a little bit about that challenge or that um the words versus the images yeah it's a really interesting dynamic because the words are often very descriptive about death they'll talk about skulls broken and they'll talk about the blood leaving and pooling and the color of the blood and they'll talk about severed limbs. So they give very graphic detailed descriptions. And then it's as if the pictures take a completely different route and they are intentionally ambiguous. They avoid details. And in most cases, when you're when you're not reporting on death, most news reporting 
tries to marry the role of the word and the image so that they accomplish a goal in tandem to bring you the information and to clearly relay and specifically relay the who, the when, the why, and how. But in the case of death, you see that inverted and the role of pictures takes a very different trajectory, which is pretty much the opposite of that, of the, the, the word takes. Right. And so throughout this book, right, so you start out and sort of give us this idea of like the role of images and how prevalent they are and how available they are. And yet we don't want to accept certain images of death. And you sort of um, can you talk a little bit about how you bring everything together in your final chapter in your summary and, and how you see this sort of moving forward? So some of what you talk about is like sort of divorcing words from images and how we sort of erase or um, delude those images of death. Like, can you talk a little bit about then sort of that culmination of what you found and what you sort of want to look for in the future? Yes. It's given the strong tribal participating of these images where they're very newsworthy if they're showing the tragedy that happened abroad to foreigners, and they're not at all newsworthy if they're showing dead Americans. It became clear that the photographs are used for setting an emotional tone and that you can think of editors as gatekeepers of emotion where at certain times they want to bring home the horror and have us confront the horror. And at other times, and at other times they want us to have a very positive message through the pictures. And they actually tell me in interviews and they write at length about how you, during an American tragedy, it's very important to capture a positive image. They create a trajectory a narrative arc for for American tragedies that go from horrific quickly to hopeful so that the images are focusing on things like resiliency and resiliency in the face of vulnerability and they're focusing on her bravery of, of first responders and their heroic acts and a healing type of fellowship like they'll show people crying and hugging one another. They'll show first responders attending to little children. And they're showing these images of order being restored. So it's this narrative arc that is quickly casting everything in a very optimistic light and a very hopeful light. And it's the exact opposite of the pictures that are used to cover an international tragedy where they are intentionally selected because they are unsettling and because they harness the horror. And that's obviously very contradictory or very different from the American bodies that are actually condemned for being disturbing. So one of the editorial impulses is to create this positive set of pictures for American tragedies. And it, it demonstrates to me that there's this strong fetish with images that the value of a picture really depends on who has died. And there's two sides of the same coin, really, where in one case, the same type of picture is incredibly 
newsworthy and even ideal form of the news in the minds of the editors because it shows the foreign tragedy so bluntly. And on the other hand, if it shows the American tragedy, it's not considered newsworthy at all and is censored. So that's two sides of the same coin in my mind where we're treating a photo as really important or absolutely not important. And it even goes more intensely to the extent that photo editors and photojournalists and many others say that these images of the foreign death are so important because they will stop wars and they will make injustices dissolve and they will be prescriptions for a better world. But the exact opposite is believed about the pictures of the American bodies where they say these are these are harmful pictures or they have no value and it's a very different belief we have about the same type of image so do you see this changing at all with the role of more access to images not via the traditional way press right through youtube through social media through that through those channels and what is put up there? Do you see this sort of changing this, that idea or? I don't expect it to change because we looked at 30 years of news practice and this period started way before the internet was actively providing access. And you see that news practices have remained the same over these decades, even though the web has made pictures very accessible. And even though so many people today have cell phones to constantly document. So there's many technological changes, but the editorial forces have remained the same. Mm -hmm. So this has been really fascinating. I don't know if you have any last words about your book. If you don't, do you have anything you're working on next? Do you have a new project or are you just sort of promoting your book? (laughs) Um, I have a lot of research in this area that's looking at the power of images and the power of words, too, to see where they overlap and where they distinguish. And I think it's really important to study when they are used for the same goal and when they don't, because it helps clarify a lot of our assumptions about how communication works. Mm Mm-hmm. So thank you for talking with me today. Um, This has been Jessica Fishman, who wrote Death Makes the News, How the Media Censor and Display the Dead. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you.